Chapter fifty seven of Peter Simple. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anthony Gerges. Peter Simple by Frederick Marriott. Chapter fifty seven. News from home not very agreeable, although the reader may laugh. We arrive at Portsmouth, where I fall in with my old acquaintance, Mrs. Trotter. We sail with a convoy for the Baltic. I had written to my sister Ellen, giving her an account of all that had passed, and mentioning the character of the captain and his apparent intimacy with my uncle. I received an answer from her telling me that she had discovered from a very communicative old maiden lady that Captain Hawkins was an illegitimate son of my uncle, by a lady with whom he had been acquainted about the time that he was in the army. I immediately conceived the truth that my uncle had pointed out to him as an object of his vengeance, and that Captain Hawkins was too dutiful and too dependent a son not to obey him. The state of my father was more distressing than ever, but there was something very ludicrous in his fancies. He had fancied himself a jackass, and had brayed for a week, kicking the old nurse in the stomach, so as to double her up like a hedgehog. He had taken it into his head that he was a pump and with one arm held out as a spout, he had obliged the poor old nurse to work the other up and down for hours together. In fact, there was a string of strange conceptions of this kind that had accumulated, so as to drive my poor sister almost mad, and sometimes his ideas would be attended with a very heavy expense, and he would send for architects, make contracts, etc., for building, supposing himself to have come to the title and property of his brother. This being the basis of his disease occurred frequently, I wrote to poor Ellen, giving her my best advice, and by this time the brig was again ready for sea, and we expected to sail immediately. I did not forget to write to O'Brien, but the distance between us was so great that I knew I could not obtain his answer probably for a year, and I felt a melancholy foreboding how much I required his advice. Our orders were to proceed to Portsmouth and join a convoy collected there bound up the Baltic under the charge of the Acasta Frigate and two other vessels. We did not sail with any pleasure or hopes of gaining much in the way of prize money. Our captain was enough to make any ship a hell, and our ship's company were composed of a mutinous and incorrigible set of scoundrels with, of course, a few exceptions. How different did the officers find the brig after losing such a captain as O'Brien and so fine a ship's company? But there was no help for it and all we could do was to make the best of it and hope for better times. The cat was at work nearly every day, and I must acknowledge that generally speaking it was deserved, although sometimes a report from the sergeant of marines of any good man favored by me was certain to be attended to. This system of receiving reports directly from an inferior officer instead of through me as first lieutenant became so annoying that I resolved at all risks to expostulate. I soon had an opportunity, for one morning the captain said to me, Mr. Simple, I understand that you had a fire in the gallery last night after hours. It's very true, sir, that I did order a stove to be lighted, but may I inquire whether the first lieutenant has not a discretionary power at that point? And further, how is it that I am reported to you by other people? The discipline of this ship is carried on by me under your directions, and all reports ought to come through me, and I cannot understand upon what grounds you permit them through any other channel. I command my own ship, sir, and shall do as I please in that respect. When I have officers I can confide in, I shall, in all probability, allow them to report to me. If there is anything in my conduct which has proved to you that I am incapable or not trustworthy, I would feel obliged to you, sir, if you would, in the first place, point it out, and in the next, bring me to a court-martial if I do not direct it. I am no court-martial man, sir, replied he, 
but I am not to be dictated to by an inferior officer, so you'll oblige me by holding your tongue. The sergeant of marines as master at arms is bound to report to me any deviation from the regulations I have laid down for the discipline of the ship. Granted, sir, but that report, according to the custom of the service, should come through the first lieutenant. I prefer it coming direct, sir. It stands less chance of being garbled. Thank you, Captain Hawkins, for the compliment. The captain walked away without further reply, and shortly after went down below. Swinburne ranged up alongside of me as soon as the captain disappeared. Well, Mr. Simple, so I hear we are bound to the Baltic. Why couldn't they have ordered us to pick off the convoy off Yartmouth, instead of coming all the way to Portsmouth? We shall be in tomorrow with this slant of wind. I suppose the convoy are not yet collected, Swinburne, and you recollect there's no want of French privateers in the channel. Very true, sir. When were you up in the Baltic, Swinburne? I was in the old St. George, a regular old 98. She sailed just like a haystack, one mile ahead and three to leeward. Lord bless you, Mr. Simple, the Cadigat wasn't wide enough for her, but she was a comfortable sort of vessel after all, expecting on a lee shore, so we used always to give the land a wide berth, I recollect. By the by, Mr. Simple, do you recollect how angry you were because I did peach at Barbados when the man sucked the monkey? To be sure I do. Well, then, I didn't think it fair, then, as I was one of them. But now that I'm a bit of an officer, I'll just tell you when we get to Calcelona. There's a method of sucking the monkey there, which, as first lieutenant with such a queer sort of captain, it is just as well as you should be up to. In the old St. George, we had seventy men drunk one afternoon, and the first lieutenant couldn't find out know-how. Indeed, Swinburne, you must let me into that secret. So I will, Mr. Simple. Don't you know there's a famous stuff for cuts and wounds called balsam? What, rig a balsam? Yes, that's it. Well, all the boats will bring that for sale, and they did to us in the old St. George. Devilish good stuff it is for wounds, I believe, but it's not bad to drink, and it's very strong. We used to take it inwardly, Mr. Simple, and the first lieutenant never guessed it. What, y'all got tipsy upon rig a balsam? All that I could, so as to give you a hint. I'm much obliged to you, Swinburne. I certainly never should have suspected it. I believe seamen would get drunk upon anything. The next morning we anchored at Spithead and found the convoy ready for sea. The captain went on shore to report himself to the admiral, and as usual the brig was surrounded with bumboats and wherries, with people who wished to come aboard. And we were not known on the Portsmouth station and had no acquaintance with the people. All the bumboats were very anxious to supply the ship, and as this is the option of the first lieutenant, he is very much persecuted until he has made his decision. Certificates of good conduct from the other officers were handed up the side from all of them, and I looked over the books of the capstan. In the second book, the name struck me. It was that of Mrs. Trotter, and I walked to the gangway out of curiosity to ascertain whether it was the same personage who, when I was a youngster, had taken care of my shirts. As I looked at the boats, a voice cried out, Oh, Mr. Simple, have you forgot your old friend? Don't you recollect Mrs. Trotter? I certainly did not recollect her. She had grown very fat, and although more advanced in years, was a better-looking woman than when I had first seen her, for she looked healthy and fresh. Indeed, I hardly did recollect you, Mrs. Trotter. I have had so much to tell you, Mr. Simple, replied she, ordering the boat to pull alongside, and as she was coming up, desired the man to get the things in, as if permission was quite unnecessary. I did not counter-order it, as I knew none of the others, and as far as honesty was concerned, believed them all to be much on par. On the strength, then, of old acquaintance, Mrs. Trotter was admitted. "'Well, I'm sure, Mr. Simple,' cried Mrs. Trotter out of breath, with climbing up the brick's side. "'What a man you've grown, and such a handsome man, too! 
dear dear it makes me feel quite old to look at you when i call to mind the little boy i had charge of in the cockpit don't you think i look very old and ugly mr simple continued she smiling and smirking indeed mrs trotter i think you wear very well pray how is your husband ah mr simple poor dear mr trotter he's gone poor fellow no what with his drinking and his love for me and his jealousy do you recollect how jealous he was mr simple he wore himself out at last no wonder considering that he had been accustomed to after keeping his carriage and dogs with everybody to be reduced to see his wife go a-bumming it broke his heart poor fellow and mr simple i've been much happier ever since for i could not bear to see him fretting lord how jealous he was and all about nothing don't you want some fresh meat for the gun-room i've a nice leg of mutton in the boat and some milk for tea recollect mrs trotter i shall not overlook you bringing spirits on board lord mr simple how could you think of such a thing it's very true that these very common people do it but the company i have felt the society i have been in mr simple besides you must recollect that i never drink anything but water i could not exactly coincide with her but i did not contradict her would you like the portsmouth paper mr simple taking one out of her pocket i know gentlemen are very fond of the news poor trotter used to never stir from the breakfast-table until he had finished the daily paper but that was when we lived in a very different style have you any clothes to wash mr simple or have any of the gentlemen i fear we have no time for we shall sail soon replied i we go with the convoy indeed cried mrs trotter who walked to the main hatchway and called to her man bill i heard her give him directions to sell nothing upon trust in consequence of the intelligence of our immediate sailing i beg your pardon mr simple i was only desiring my head man to be sent for your steward that he might be supplied with the best and to save some milk for the gun-room and i must beg your pardon mrs trotter for i must attend to my duty mrs trotter made her curtsy and walked down the main ladder to attend to her duty and we separated i was informed she had a great deal of custom as she understood how to manage the officers and made herself generally useful to them she had been a bumboat woman for six years and she had made a great deal of money indeed it was reported that if a first lieutenant wanted forty or fifty pounds mrs trotter would always lend it to him without requiring his promissory note the captain came on board in the evening having dined with the admiral and left directions for having all ready for unmooring and heaving short at daylight the signal was made from the frigate at sunrise and before twelve o'clock we were all under way and running past st helen with a favourable wind our force consisted of the acasta frigate the isis ship sloop mounting twenty guns the reindeer eighteen and our own brig the convoy amounted to nearly two hundred although the wind was fair and the water smooth we were more than a week before we had made and hold light owing to the bad sailing and inattention of many of the vessels belonging to the convoy we were constantly employed repeating signals firing guns and often sent to tow up the sternmost vessels at last we passed the unholt light with a light breeze and the next morning the mainland was to be distinguished on both bows End of chapter fifty seven